Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And this is going to be the beginning of a slightly modified schedule here in the salon. As you know, uh, my wife and I will be moving to a new apartment at the end of next month. And uh, the main difficulty in that, besides packing, moving, and unpacking, <laughs> is the fact that we still haven't found a new place to live yet. So uh, I have to admit that I'm a little bit distracted right now. But the good news is that beginning next week, I'll be releasing those Terrence McKenna podcasts that I only played a preview of on the salon's classic RSS feeds. So while my Patreon supporters may not get as many first-run podcasts as normal, I still will be hosting a live salon every Monday night at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And, yeah, I realize that this time isn't great for some of our fellow saloners who don't live in the States, but, uh, well, that hasn't stopped some of our friends from around the world joining us from time to time, and I really appreciate that. Now, once I get settled in a new place to live, I'll be scheduling featured guests to join us each week in the live salon. And uh, for today's podcast, I'm going to play a recording from last Monday evening's conversation where my friend Matt Palomary was our guest. Now, uh, these live salons are hosted on Zoom, and uh, while a few people joined via telephone, most of us were also using video. So those of us who had joined using our computers, well, our screens were full of little windows with the video feeds of everyone there. And uh, while it isn't quite as good as being together in person, well, being able to see each other uh, actually does add a really nice element to it all. Anyway, uh, at this time, I'd like to welcome you to join me, Matt Palomary, and a few dozen of our fellow saloners for an open-ended conversation about, well, whatever was on our minds last Monday night. And Mateo, it's good to see you again, brother. It's been a little while. Yeah, we're overdue. Hey, dude, I, I want to let you know that the uh, the uh, entheomedicine people are really singing your praises. <laughs> well, let's not go there. But I, I did uh, just post the uh, podcast of that talk. So uh, uh, it's out there now and people can decide themselves. But, it, you know, I just got up there and just told some stories. But I left all the stories about you and I out just because uh, I know you're going back up there to a sold-out crowd. And I didn't want to uh, <laughs> spook anybody. <laughs> Yeah, right. They'd all be running if they knew me really well, right? <laughs> well, they might be running towards you, Mateo. <laughs> oh, there you go. Hey, really you know, quick, is this, are we going for an hour and a half tonight? Yeah, if you okay. can. If you can. Yeah, I will. I just want to let my uh, my homies know. Yeah, and, and the way I've been doing it is, you know, we if, we, if, if you want to give a little uh, intro to where you want the conversation to kind of head, that's, that's a good way to start it. And then uh, uh, hopefully others will join in with questions, I think. Probably most okay. of them have uh, heard one or more of your podcasts. And, uh, right. yeah, I had a great time up there this weekend uh, in Santa Barbara. That's, that's a great group of people. I'm looking forward to reconnecting. I'm heading up Wednesday night. And, um, they've yeah, got I things thought, planned out really well, so I'm looking forward to that. And you, I saw you, you in Santa Barbara, Lorenzo. Oh, were you there? Yeah, I was there? there. Oh, why didn't you come up and say hi? Uh, I ended up, I live in Ventura, so I ended up leaving a little early, so, oh, okay. but uh, sorry about that next time. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate you coming. That was a really interesting evening. And, it uh, was 
Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your talk. I was uh, very, uh, very inspiring on um, many dimensions. Well, it was, it was a lot of fun, and and I just I just podcast the talk, but I did uh, I did cut out a, a couple uh, you know names and places that I gave to you guys, so it's All right. it's been sanitized a little bit. You know. We got the we got the uh, the real deal, the download. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, Mateo's been out on the road. He's been uh, you've been down in Florida, right? Oh, by the way. Uh, Mateo, I, it, it's Matt Palomari. I call him Mateo. I also call him Casawack. But when I was up in Santa Barbara this weekend, uh, uh, I, I was talking about Mateo, and they didn't know I was talking about you. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I've been in the writing community, at the center of that writing community for 30 years, as you yeah. know. Well, yeah, but these, these people, uh, you know, they, they only know you from the psychedelic community, the ones that uh, I was with this weekend. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm a, um, I'm a cast of thousands, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll take all of them. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, I went um, – are we officially started? Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and, and uh, kick it off here. And, and uh, uh, to begin with, uh, let me just kind of introduce you to uh, – we're getting a little feedback from somebody. If you guys think you've got background noise in your room, if you'd mute your uh, mics, that'd be really great because it, it's feeding through and we're trying to record this, but uh, – uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, Mateo and I, uh, we go back uh, a long way. Uh, you know, he lived with us for a while, and we, we've uh, had experiences in the jungle. And I think the, the thing people know about you most, of course, is uh, your talks about ayahuasca and the, the uh, well, you've spent all these years studying it uh, in the jungle and in the mountains and the desert and, and uh, studying all these medicines. So uh, there's just so many different directions we could go. Why don't, why don't we start out, and, and I guess the thing that I, I, I left out, the most important thing, is while he, he is so, uh, much of an adventurer and a psychonaut, uh, at his ground zero uh, handle is he's a writer, a very prolific writer. He's got a whole bunch of books that I hope he tells us about, and they're in a number of languages, and he's been a pillar of the Santa Barbara Writers Conference uh, you know, for many years, and that's a uh, that's sort of the premier writers conference in the country. He's, he teaches there, so uh, I don't know tonight where the direction will lead us. Uh, uh, Mateo, do you want to talk about uh, writing or the jungle or everything in between? Yes. <laughs> I, the, the the thing I like to do whenever I'm speaking and all that is I really want anybody who is taking the time to uh, participate to make sure that they go away with something, you know. So like I'm I'm totally open to questions about all of the above. Um. I just finished a great tour for anybody who doesn't know the famous um, ayahuasca painter, Pablo Amaringo. Um, I just did a wonderful tour with uh, his students, his art and his students. And we went from Central Florida down to Miami and then back to Central Florida, then up to Yakima, Washington, outside of Seattle, and then back here. And we also did the United States premiere of uh, Bufo Alvarius. Um, the infamous 5-MAO toad. And I was lucky to be able to take a taste of the toad while I was down there in Miami. Uh, as you well know, Lorenzo, I did a lot of work with that stuff back in the day when it was legal. <laughs> That's, that is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know if you can hear me or not. Oh, yeah, we've got you, got you loud and clear. Okay, and, and let let me let me uh, suggest this to, in fact, to all of you is what I do 
you go up to the top right corner of your screen, uh, I think it defaults to gallery view. And then the speaker is in a big window. But if you change it to speaker view, then you can see all of us. And I think that's a, a better way to watch the uh, unfolding. Okay, I'm on the big screen. I got a lot of people on to the right. Is that correct? Well, yeah, but you can you can click that that little thing that changes it from a uh, grid to a, a list. Oh, okay, I can see everybody here. Yeah, isn't that wow. better? Tim Cat looks totally psychedelic. I know that. <laughs> so, um, Lorenzo, you know me better than everybody, obviously, and you know how to pick my brain. What is what's in there? Um, I've been lecturing a lot about shamanism lately and about the writing and about the, the tie-ins with shamanism and storytelling. Um, why, don't, why don't we back up a little bit? Because one of the things that I don't think we've done in the podcast, and if we did, it was quite a few years ago, is, is uh, t- tell us about that intensive uh, two-year shamanism study course where you went from the mountains to the deserts to the jungle. and uh, What all was involved in that? How, how did it unfold? Sure. Okay. So, um, it over, it was a two year shamanic study course and roughly once every two months we went down in the jungle and we did lots of ayahuasca with the Shipibos. And then we went up to the Andes and we worked with San Pedro, otherwise known as Wachuma, which, uh, if anybody doesn't know, it's, it's, uh, contains mescaline, but it's a, a different tradition than peyote. And then we went into the desert and we did the whole peyote hunt the overnight uh, ceremony and ritual and the pilgrimage to Mount Kemaro. Um, and then we went up to Four Corners and we did a lot of walkabouts up there. Uh, we had a concoction of um, San Pedro and uh, shroomies, which was very interesting mixture. And then uh, we spent a lot of time in uh, New Mexico also doing wilderness solos, like, like we'd go out for a three-day wilderness solo uh, basically fasting in San Pedro and uh, spent a lot of time alone, which I love to do. And it, uh, some people were like, when I did it, I was already been going to the jungle in, in the Amazon, working with uh, the plants down there four or five years. But when I took this course, it kind of filled in all the gaps for me um, and rounded out my knowledge. And things that I learned there and from those different cultures uh, – are still playing out a lot for me. One of the best experiences I had was really high in the Andes, um, doing San Pedro in the with the water wings in these mineral hot springs and getting massaged by the shaman and the stuff that came out um, was very powerful and, and cleansing and healing. So um, I ended up going all over Peru in the mountains and the deserts uh, throughout all the jungles. And um, for my uh, graduation, I got a big uh, condor feather, um, which was great. So it was a really good experience. It really rounded out my knowledge. I'd already taken some college courses, um, an honors course in anthropology on South American Indian religions. And uh, one of the main things about shamanism uh, is direct experiential knowledge, you know, as opposed to reading it in books. So this was tons of hands-on uh, some real wild adventures. Uh, one I almost didn't come back from. I almost croaked. Um, I was actually, my life was literally saved by an acupuncturist. The, uh, the regular, uh, medical community here had no idea. They said, we can't find anything. And another woman who had the same thing I had ended up dying. 
Well, tell, tell the whole story. Expand on that one. Yeah, sure. So I went to a place outside of Iquitos to a camp with the Shipibos and some other people. And we did some, some work. And I got really sick down there. And um, it was right after my mom's death. Uh, and I thought maybe it had something to do with that. Uh, Lorenzo, you got, the, you got to meet my mom there. Uh, not in Iquitos, but here when I was having my big book signing. Anyway, I got this, I was like delirious. I couldn't even see straight. I was sweating. Um, I could barely even function mentally to, to dial the phone. And I went to the doctors. They took all these tests and said, we can't find anything wrong with you. And I was just getting increasingly uh, incoherent. So out of desperation, um, I called my acupuncturist. And I will never forget, as long as I lived, the look on her face when she saw me and did her work scared the shit out of me more than anything else. It really scared me. And she said my uh, my heart was down to 30%. My liver was down to 30 My kidneys were down to 20 My whole body was shutting down. And um, I've done uh, acupuncture a number of times. And I got to tell you, this time when she put the needles in, it really, really hurt, like, like poking a really big, sensitive bruise. And she hit me hard with uh, bovine hormones and all these other stuff. And she treated me like three times uh, every other day straight up. And it finally broke. But it was really scary. And this other woman had the same thing. And she was a nurse. So she went into the hospital. Um, she ended up going into a coma and dying. And it was the same thing. So it really freaked me out. And I was glad I had the presence of mind to... Um, go outside the box, so to speak. I've never been a big fan of traditional medicine anyway, which is one of the reasons um, I do go to the jungle. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a time and a place for it. If you, you know, you, you break an arm or some things, you need intervention like that. But overall, I'm not a fan of it. And this is a really good example. And um, not to defend them, but uh, the acupuncturist said I had a virus and a bacteria that were um, kind of working together and kind of eating me alive in a way. So um, I was really lucky to escape. Did they that ever? One. Did they ever figure out how you contracted it? It was with the people, you know. So, so when I go to my usual place in the jungle where I've been going for twenty years, they're even though they're mestizo, they're much more traditional. So only one person handles the food. Uh, they bring you your food. It's much uh, cleaner. <clears throat> when I was in the Shipibo village, they'd be like. Eight people preparing food, and then a little kid with shitty diapers and a runny nose would run by, and then a pig would run by, and then a mangy-looking dog would run by, and then a chicken. Um, and I think um, I'm pretty sure that because they were in their place in the jungle, they had immunities to those things. But it just was not a um, what's the word? It wasn't a healthy environment. It wasn't clean. When I when the, these guys in the jungle where I usually go were very very clear. And traditionally, uh, if you study ayahuasca in depth, traditionally only one person is supposed to handle the food. There's a whole cleanliness thing about it. So this, th those things weren't followed. There was everybody and their mother was putting their hands in the food. And I think that's how I got it. Yeah, that sure makes a lot of sense. In fact, you, you might want to describe, uh, before we get, uh, open it up for questions, uh, what it was like uh, when you, you went uh, up the river to the camp, the whole uh, experience of the jungle that is go was going on during all your two years of shamanic studies. But every summer you'd go to the jungle, too, with our friends. Uh, you might want to tell how that uh, 
how the, the spirit experience unfolds, how you get there and what it's like while you're there. Sure, absolutely. And this is, this is an ayahuasca retreat now. Yeah, and these guys, um, even though they're mestizos, they are the purest tradition. I spent one year in the jungle with one of their mentors, and I love what he said. He said to me, uh, or he said to all of us, I am a plant man. My father was a plant man before him. His father was a plant man before him, and his father was a plant man before him all the way back. And that's the tradition I worked in. And I like, you know, being a plant man or a vegetalista. I do not like being called a shaman. Uh, but too many people are calling me it, so I'm not fighting anymore because I call attention to it. And as a matter of fact, I recently did a podcast, and now my standard response is, everybody is a shaman, only most of us don't know it. <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. Good. So anyway, uh, this is a sideways plug because I wouldn't be a writer worth my salt if I didn't give a plug. But my first jungle experience, which was in, very intense, uh, is in my memoir, Spirit Matters, which is an e-book, a tree book, and an audio book. So also, um, I figured out that during the course of my studies, when I was deep in the shamanic study program, I figured it out and I was doing ayahuasca uh, 30 times a year for a couple of years, along with everything else and the fun stuff and the shroomies and, the, and everything else. So what we do when we go down there is we leave out of Los Angeles. It's about an eight hour, it's an eight hour flight to Lima from Lima we have a little bit of a layover, sometimes six hours maybe, and then we take an hour flight from Lima to Pacalpa, which is a wild, woolly jungle town, kind of a, a frontier town. And then we usually spend a day there at the shaman's uh, compound. And then from there, we take beat-up cars um, down muddy, potholy, dusty roads, depending, for two hours to a smaller village. And then from the small village, we go two hours upriver. This is like a tributary of a tributary of a tributary of the Amazon to the shaman's camp. And then once we get there, depending on the height of the river, um, we'll hike in sometimes maybe 45 minutes. And um, then when we get there, <clears throat> there's a main area, just a kitchen. And then there is the maloka. And by the way, um, I got pictures of a lot of this stuff on my website. So everybody's welcome to, to look on my website, mattpalamary.com. And um, so then we have the maloka where we do the ceremonies. And then um, there are open-air huts called tambos, for those of you guys who don't know. And my tambo is the last one at the end of the line. <clears throat> and so you spend most of your time alone. They bring you your food twice a day. And uh, there, there's no soap, no shampoo, no sense, no toothpaste, no sense of any kind. And you get um, a picture every day of a plant or plants. Every year I go, they hit me harder with more plants. And then every other night, um, you do an ayahuasca session. And then if you're, uh, for lack of better words, an advanced hardcore masochist like me, and they know it, then you'll do ayahuasca a couple of times during the day by yourself. So it really turns into one big, long, 10-day ayahuasca session. And um, a lot of magical things happen. So every day you'll get either oatmeal, quinoa, or rice boiled, baked or boiled plantanos, which is the non-ripe bananas. If you've ever tried to eat a cardboard box, you know what they taste like. And then uh, a piece of chicken or fish. That's it. And the plants... like. No soap, no shampoo, no salt for 10 days. Um, 
and then um, you're, uh, you're, you're dreaming and your visions and your waking all start to blend together. And incidentally, uh, in indigenous cultures, um, waking and dreaming and visions, for them, it's all one continuum. It's just different states of consciousness, but they, they don't separate them like we do in our culture. So over the course of those, doing the dieta there, um, the boundaries between your conscious and your subconscious blur, and all your shit comes up, all your shadow comes up, and you're spending most of the time alone, so there's nobody to project it onto, nobody to blame, and, and you basically got to face your demons. Um, but it's a very powerful, wonderful experience. I, um, I hope to do it more. It's been a couple of years since I've gone because uh, financial situations. But um, it's not for everybody. I always like to say, don't worry about it. I went for you. <laughs> so, by the way, uh, Mateo, in the background behind me, you see, I, I uh, in honor of you tonight, I, I went back to the Chanka Hotel. Uh, <laughs> Love that place. <laughs> Usually, my background is my office from uh, 2004 in in Long Beach because I'm, you know, where I'm sitting in this little bitty room in our house. Yeah, and uh, we won't be here long. We're we're looking for a new place now, so all that's in kind of turmoil too. So let's uh, let me get back to this, and and I'm going to unmute everybody, and and if somebody has some questions, we'll we'll uh, head in a, a, a direction here, and uh, I think I unmuted everybody. Now you can remute yourself if you'd like, and and uh, we'll uh, see if somebody has questions. Hey, Mateo, I have a couple straight off the bat. So the first one was uh, Wilkes. I was told that Wilkes was the uh, path to God or the path to the angels. Like there was some some kind of ayahuasca ritual that was done at 3 a.m. in the morning. And when I talked to a couple of the different people that from Peru, they told me that was the Wilkes plant. Do you have any kind of experience with that? Or do you know what, I'm, what they may be talking about? <clears throat> no. Um, you know, so when we do the sessions there, we typically meet about – Oh, say six at night, and we'll do a usually a, an hour or two integration because there's, there's more stuff going on. You're out there by yourself in the jungle, and stuff's happening. And then usually we'll drink about eight or nine, and we'll go till um, sometimes three or four in the morning. And um, it's very intense. And sometimes some of the uh, helper plants that you drink during the day. Some of them are mildly hallucinatory or visionary. Some of them are very powerful. But um, these guys that I work with, like at one point, some years back, in fact, Lorenzo, you were part of this for a bit too. Um, they actually put a couple of uh, Datura leaves in. They're called Toei. And that got pretty wild for a couple of years. And then the shaman decided, he said, we don't need that. We get plenty of colors from the Shakruna. Um, we don't have to do that anymore. It's, uh, it's kind of overkill. But we had some experiments like that. And I've worked with some very, very exotic plants. But it's strictly been ayahuasca dieta, nothing. Uh, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, no, they said Wilkes was a master and uh, ayahuasca was a teacher. And so there's supposed to be like three or four master plants. One of them is Datura. And then there's supposed to be six teachers, I think, and one of them is ayahuasca. I didn't, again, I didn't know if you had known much about it because you had said you'd gone on like the shamanic. Um, yeah, I, so um, I may miss missed some, but let me just think about this for a second. So I've worked with, obviously, ayahuasca and chakruna, and then there's uh, chuchuwasi, ushpawasha, unidegato, clavawasca, renakia, komalonga, uh, bobinsana, uh, lupuna, 
It's a great Icarus um, too, by the way, the Boban Sana song. Yeah. Oh, that was my favorite. I had my well, my that was my first experience where I had the most profound, uh, lucid and spiritual dream I ever had in my life. Um, I may be missing a couple more of them. They come and go, and you know, once you spent ten days with those plants ingesting them, um, they're with you forever. And when I'm in ceremony and I'm singing Icaros, they come to me at different times for different reasons. Uh, there's also ajo sacha, jungle garlic, wayusa. And um, last time I went, I said to the shaman, you know, the last few journeys here have been really a bit rough. I was thinking of taking it easy and maybe just doing bobinsana. And he looks at me and he says, well, you can do bobinsana, but we're going to hit you hard. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, okay. And they did. He gave me this concoction of five different plants. And uh, it was really interesting. I was super, super uh, energized. And I think I slept two hours a night. And I didn't feel tired at all. I felt like Superman. And um, I also did five ceremonies at night and two during the day. Um, I could have done three during the day, but two was really starting to push it. It gets really rough toward the end because you're not taking any salt and your body's starting to cramp up and all that. And then that took me like, probably a month to integrate that. That was intense. And they know that I've worked with most of their plants. So when I come down, they really give me the business. Um, but it's only because I've been going now, you know, for about 20 years. Um, so, oh, and then the other thing, we work some, somewhat with tobacco. And they say that, uh, if I remember correctly, ayahuasca is the mother of tobacco. <clears throat> and, and I'm, you know, I know there's probably some plants I haven't done just like, I always like to say I've done almost every substance I can get my hands on, a lot of the experimental ones, but I've, I'm, I probably missed a few, you know. But um, I've made it a career of trying out as much as I could. Lorenzo can attest to that. You know, uh, Mateo and I actually met in an ayahuasca ceremony, and he just happened to sit down next to me, and it was, you know, the, ahead of time we get talking. And you've heard the story probably in the podcast, but uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, – we probably wouldn't be here together without ayahuasca because that's what brought us together, strangely. It's made some of the biggest changes in my life and some of the most amazing people that I've met. But with some of the other people that we've both done uh, medicine with, are, are uh, some are celebrities, some are powerful people, and, and uh, some are wealthy people and all. But uh, it's it's a good leveler and a good way that, that you can – uh, you know, get people back to their basics and get rid of some of these filters that we put in for uh, social filters to, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word political correctness, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. I, I, will, I will say this, uh, and then I'll shut up for a minute and see if there's more questions. But in my humble opinion and in, and in my experience, um, ayahuasca leads you from being uh, head-centered, intellectually-centered, caught up with your personality and all your egos. Like in myself, I'm, I'm the first to admit I'm a cast of thousands. And um, it leads you from being head-centered to heart-centered. And I think you connect when you connect heart-centered, you have more instances of telepathy. And I think that's where the bullshit filters go away and you get to be really honest with yourself. And, you know, that's what happened with uh, Brother Sting and uh, other people like that. I agree. Yeah. So, Mark, you have uh, more questions? Uh, anybody else? I got a question. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Someone else? No, David. Go ahead, David. Okay. Uh, so I have experience with uh, psilocybin, with 
uh, mushrooms and uh, MDMA and some acid. Anyway, I've never done ayahuasca. And so I have a two-part question is, uh, is uh, I'm getting ready to um, take the medicine with a group and prepare for that. So is there any recommendation that you would have on how to prepare for that? And the, the sort of the sub part of that is somebody recommended, it's been about 20 years since I've used mushrooms, but maybe to do a microdose of mushrooms to kind of get the synapses firing um, before the ayahuasca. Uh, that's a great question, bro. Um, a couple of things I want to mention. First off, Lorenzo did a podcast with me, bro. It was, I think it was 10 or 11 years ago. Um, ayahuasca diets and rituals, I think it's called. I'll go, I'll go look for it and put it up on the screen if I find it uh, easily. Yeah. Here. So first off, I recommend that. But the most important thing is there's a couple of important things. One of the most important things is to go in there with the respect for the plants and the teachers, mm -hmm. you know, I look back now and I says, if somebody says dumber than a house plant, I'm like, dude, you're out to lunch, man, because guess what? They're a lot smarter than you think. <laughs> so um, having the respect for it is one. Two, the closer you get to doing it, the more you, you can follow the diet. In my humble opinion, the better experience you've had, you'll have. Um, I now, you know, I, I've had a, a almost a half a century um, love affair with cannabis. And, uh, also, coffee. It's like writer's crack, cannabis and coffee, right? <laughs> Usually um, a week, maybe two weeks before when I'm going to do the work, I stop them and I get them out of there. And there are some traditions who say, oh, yeah, cannabis. And the dining might even use cannabis. One of them does, I think. But um, in the tradition that we've worked in, um, they say that, that ayahuasca is another woman. You know, they got the sensimia with the cannabis and you got the ayahuasca. And they say she's jealous and she doesn't like that shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've experimented with it. And I really believe that the, um, the more pure you are going in and the more focused your intention is, the more you will benefit from it. One. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to stress is that you have to experience the light in the dark. I have people who tell me, oh, you know, I just want to do ecstasy and I just want to love everybody and I just want to see the light. Well, that's bullshit. You can't have the light without the dark. How are you going to learn everything without experiencing both? And um, it's important to experience both and to see it because how else, how else are you going to find the center unless you experience both and treat them equally? Because the more light there is, the darker the dark is, and the darker the dark is, the more the light is. And you've got to experience them both. So when I first did ayahuasca, my first sessions were blissful. You know, and, and, uh, and, and I went like maybe my first dozen sessions were blissful. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm made for this stuff. You know, I'm not puking. I'm not chatting. I'm really, this is, oh, I made for this. And then like for the next dozen, that's all I did was shit and puke, right? <laughs> and then at one point I said, bring on the darkness. Whoa, buddy. I went through about three years of that. I mean, I've been to hell and back many times. And I've been to heaven and back many times. But the beauty of it is that once I went to a lot of those dark places and experienced them, then I would see somebody who in the past I may have judged. And because I've experienced that energy and that vibe, I can have compassion for them. And I can help them. And one of the things I say, and I've, and I've been leading lots of ceremonies, and one of the things I say to people, and I, and I mean this full on, I will go anywhere in the dark with you. Anywhere. And... Okay. 
I will be there right beside you and I'll guide you through it. I'll be there. I'll go where we need to go, you know? Mm. And unless you go there and experience something directly and know what it's about, how can you truly have compassion and help somebody, right? So that's really a big thing of mine. So, you know, um, don't, don't think, you may want to have a blissful experience. So I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, hell's coming. You may, it may not, but, but the key to it all is learning how to navigate. And the way that you navigate, I like the, the, the analogy of dancing. And the other thing one of my mentors told me, which I love, is he said that um, ayahuasca is the river and the Icaros and the music are the boats that carry you along the river. And then you remember when you take it that you did take something and that no matter what happens, it's temporary. It's not, even though, I, so I got to tell you, sometimes it feels like it's an eternity, right? But uh, the other thing is that um, what they say in the jungle is that all of the discomfort that you go through is what you have to do in order to prove you're worthy of the gifts and the knowledge that the plants have to give you. So when I hear people say, oh, yeah, I want to go to the jungle. I want to do ayahuasca. I look them in the eye and I go, it's an ordeal. And it's not always fun. But you are always, always better in the end. You just got to work with it and flow with it and not fight it. And if you find yourself in difficult situations, you breathe deep and breathe through it and realize, I, I like to think of it as a storm front. It's a passing storm. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a good answer for you? That's great. Thank let, you. And, let me go yeah. ahead. And, David, you. I'm going to share this screen here. And this is uh, this is the, the podcast he was talking about, podcast number 89. 89. Okay. From April 25th, 2007. Ayahuasca, Diet, Rituals, and power, Powers. Oh. And... Oh, okay. uh, there's a, a, a picture of, uh, of uh, Mateo that was on my balcony in our last apartment. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's actually, that's back when I was doing program notes where I, the quotes that I put in, I put the minutes and seconds that you can find into the thing. That was really a pain in the ass to do that if you guys want to know <laughs> the truth, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Thank yeah, you. Very yeah, my helpful. pleasure, brother. And, uh, and, 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 you know, if anything comes up, you want to reach out. Um, you can find me through my website if something comes up or you have a you know pressing issue. This, this stuff is really important. And now I'm, I'm leading groups, sometimes 20 to 25 people. And um, obviously when I do that, Lorenzo will tell you, I'm Mr. I'm Mr. Hardhead Megadoser for everything. Everything has been kamikaze. <laughs> but when I'm leading the groups, I take, you know, a half a dose or less because I need yeah. to be coherent and I feel personally responsible for everybody in that room. Mm-hmm. Just like I feel personally responsible for all you guys who have tuned in now. I want, it's very important to, for everybody to be fully informed and go into the, everything with their eyes wide open. That's one of my, mm-hmm. like, I'm on a mission from dog. You know what I'm saying? But let, let me, let me give a, a, an example of how he, he concerned about people and takes care of us. So that I, I can remember on more than one occasion where there'd be, <clears throat> Oh, eight or 10 of us in uh We'd spend a, a we'd, we'd have some sort of a, a ceremony and and uh, an experience uh, in the evening. We're all going to stay in the same place at night, and we had a couple of big places we could do that in. And after everybody'd come down, we kind of broke the circle, and everybody go to their beds. Then, and this was back when five meo was still legal. Mateo would come around to each of us and tuck us in with his little MEO pipe. <laughs> we all take a couple of hits of five MEO to drift off to Netherlands. Now that's how conscientious he is. <laughs> Got to send him off with the love, baby. 
<laughs> now, actually, that's that's probably uh, a little too much fun and recreational for a lot of our more scientific people. But, you know, I have to admit that if it wasn't fun doing this stuff, too, none of us probably would have ever got into it as deep as we have. You know, it's got to be pleasurable, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, too, when we were a lot of the stuff we were doing, we were really, really pioneering. Nobody knew what a lot of the stuff was. And, uh, and we didn't know sometimes what was going to happen when we took something. And so that's why now it's really important. I'm doing that that next weekend in Santa Barbara, this coming weekend, about psychedelic integration because of all the experience I had. Because there was nobody to guide us. You know, my, my, first, uh, my first LSD was 71 or 72. I, I grew up in Boston. And uh, we had a chemist at MIT, which we called Mental Institute for the Touch. And he went by My Favorite Martian. And it took seven or eight times of doing a hit of what he had before I could handle the whole hit. I'd have to do like two-thirds, which was blowing my brains out then. Uh, everything was megadose then. There was no such thing as microdosing any of that. So, yeah, we had fun, but we were also experimenting and pioneering, and we were always there for each other too. Uh, and we saw a few bad results from people who weren't being responsible. Um, so that's why for me it's very important that I'm getting more and more vocal now as time goes on so that everybody goes in with their eyes wide open. By the way, uh, Mateo, that workshop you're going to be doing in Santa Barbara is sold out. Yeehaw! <laughs> Loving it. That should be a really interesting workshop. Yeah, what's the workshop on? It's on psychedelic integration, integrating psychedelic experiences. Uh, I love it. Thank you for the clap over there, bro. Uh, and it's um, it's for licensed therapists and psychologists only. Oh, right. All right, and, right. Um, okay. What yeah. I, I, it dawned on me, all these people were like, hi, I'm a psychedelic integration specialist, and, and, I'm, and I'm looking and listening, and I'm thinking to myself, you don't know shit. <laughs> and not, not, you know, not in a facetious, egotistical way either. I've been at this shit for 50 years, pretty much 50 years. And I've done a lot, and I've taken hundreds of people um, on journeys with numerous substances, um, Lorenzo will tell you, for about 10 years, I was Mr. 5-MEO. Um, As a matter of fact, I'll just jump in and tell. Right here in Palenque, where the Palenque uh, and Theobotany conferences attracted uh, 80 people over one week and then another 80 people the next week, and there were about 20 presenters. And those people came from all over the world. And for a couple of years... Mateo took almost every one of us on our first 5-MEO trip. <laughs> He'd lead us out into the jungle and get his pipe. And, and uh, a lot of the, the buzz about 5-MEO that started springing up all over the place came out of those uh, seminars down there. And so he was sort of a Johnny Appleseed of that chemical. And, uh, and it's come back to bite a few people, of course, too. Yeah, that's why I, I, it was interesting. I took a, uh, I took a break. Uh, because people were getting uh, irresponsible with it and not being in integrity. And I got to the point where I did so much of it that it just really wasn't affecting me anymore. So I know, Lorenzo, you said this to me. Was it Alan Watts that said you've you've gotten the message, you can hang up the phone now? No, actually, uh, that was uh, Gary Fisher was at the dinner party. It was a dinner party at Laura Huxley's house. Okay. Uh, And uh, Laura and uh, Aldous was still alive, and Alan Watts was there, and uh, uh, the woman sitting next to Alan says, uh, well, I heard that you don't do LSD anymore. And he says, madam, when you, uh, once you get the message, you hang up the phone or to that effect. And, uh, uh, 
I, I used, in fact, by that time that Gary told me that, he was in his uh, early 70s, and uh, I'd been trying to get him to do acid with me because Myron was, and uh, Gary just wouldn't. He just kept chuckling. He says, ah, you'll find out. You'll find out. And uh, I got to where, uh, well, it's been uh, a little over three years now since I've done ayahuasca, and uh, for for a couple reasons. And, Mateo, you brought out an a interesting thing and an important thing about uh, ayahuasca and cannabis both being uh, female and uh, how in our tradition, you know, we had to give up cannabis for the week before and the week after. And I found that, that to be the most difficult part of the dieta for me because, uh, you know, cannabis is my ally. And so finally, on my actually, it was my last ayahuasca trip. That was my uh, my intent going in and, and to discover why uh, I you know, why the conflict? Is it really, you know, most uh, other people, uh, some people smoke it during an ayahuasca experience. And so I had the conversation with uh, Lady Ayahuasca, and she said, you know, uh, uh, Santa Maria is your ally. And why don't you spend your time with her? If you ever need me again, come back. But don't don't try to stay away from her again. So at least that's the rationale that went through my mind because I was getting old and these things were taking a toll on me. Yeah, you know, one of the things I always like to say when I'm talking about this stuff, and I say it a lot to younger people, um, if you spend enough time in numerous variations of altered states and you're doing shit all the time, then if you go baseline, baseline becomes an altered state. So it's really a good thing to do. Myself right now, I'm on about a three-month hiatus with the weed. Um I was leading a lot of ceremonies in different places, and so I thought let's I'd take a break and stay clear, um, you know. And I was leading, and then you know my throat was getting a bit raw, and you know this stuff they got now is nothing like what it was when I was coming up. I'll tell you that for sure. I mean, Jesus Christ, hybrids and you know pineapple fruit cake, deluxe Girl Scout cookie hybrid. Train the indica. Well, let, let me let me kind of interject again here because. Uh, I, I uh, a couple of years ago, my blood pressure got pretty high. And for the first time in my life, I had to take a prescription medicine to, I didn't want to have a stroke. And, uh, but I started talking to my doctor about it. And we did an experiment where I would uh, take a couple tokes of cannabis uh, every hour, hour and a half. And we determined that I was able to stop taking blood pressure medicine because cannabis lowered my blood pressure sufficiently and i take it every day so i i'm up on it and so it's been over a year since i've taken any medicine i'm 76 years old i take zero prescription medicine and i smoke cannabis all day every day and and you know that's my baseline mateo you know uh, yeah and, and and in fact tell a story about when you first w- went working in the the high uh security tech company how you were stoned for the first six months <laughs> And then when you quit smoking before work, they thought you were on drugs? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, so actually it was the United States Air Force. And um, I, I didn't go overseas, but I'm a Vietnam-era veteran. And so uh, a typical day, I would get up in the morning, and I would get out my trusty bong, and I would pull out a book of matches, and I would do 20 bong hits. And then I'd go into work. And then when I get into work, and me and the boys would sneak off somewhere, and then I had a secret clearance. I was working on spy planes. So we'd sneak off and, you know, mid-morning and have a smoke-a-thon, and I'd come back, and then we'd sneak off to lunch, and we'd go to the barracks, and we'd put towels under the door, and we'd smoke out. 
And then we take an afternoon break and sneak off. And then I get home from work and I would do it. So I was constantly stoned and I loved it. I worked with all this stuff really good. So I got to the point, which happens to me, I'm smoking so much and it just doesn't affect me anymore. And I think, shit, I'm wasting good weed. I need to take a break and, and, and hit the reset button. So I did. I took a break and I went straight and they, and they accused me of being stoned. So go figure, right? <laughs> so somebody else have a question here. I see somebody in there. Is that Darlene? I don't have my glasses on. So I just I'm going to say, I've got both your books. Life. Yeah, so I bought both your books last time you were on, November 26th. Uh, one is Afterlife. The other one is Center of the Universe. But I wanted to say that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming back. I didn't realize that was you. Sorry. Oh, no. Bless you. Bless you. I owe you eternally. You, you have my undying love and gratitude forever. You fed me by buying my books. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And listen, if any of you are science fiction fans, you've got to read nothing. His his uh, sci-fi novel uh, that actually uh, features a, a, a famous uh, living person, and and it's a it's a page turner. Go and and you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, sure. Uh, briefly, I'm obligated to pitch the prequel. The first one is called Dreamland. It's about computer-generated dreaming. And in fact, Lorenzo, when I got you into the uh, Independent Ebook Awards there, it took first place in the horror thriller category. And I wrote it <clears throat> with a famous DJ. Um, he was big in San Diego. And then in Pittsburgh back in the 70s, he was one of the very first people to break in long play on FM radio. He went by Brother Love. And um, <laughs> he was breaking in Jimi Hendrix, um, Pink Floyd, playing album sides and all that. So we wrote that. And then um, he left the planet about 10 years ago. I don't know if you ever got to meet him, Lorenzo, or not. No, I didn't. I didn't meet him. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, my oh, wait, nephew... at your book, wasn't he at your book signing? The, the first yeah. 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 That's where I, I remember. I remember the brother love. I, I can't pull his face out right now, but I did at yeah. least shake his hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you didn't meet him. Anyway, um, my nephew um, is a video game rock star in a game called Counter-Strike. And he's one of the top three guys in the world. He's a, he's a rock star. He flies all over the world and competes. And he's one of the best guys. And so um, I named the, the book after him. And um, so the original computer-generated dreaming ends in a, in a disaster. It's called Dreamland. <clears throat> and uh, in the sequel, the government undercover... CIA, NSA type spooky guys pick up the project and they recruit him and his team to go into dreams of uh, PTSD veterans. And they actually, in the, in the dreams, the computer generated dreams, they go into battle and go into traumatic situations with the veterans and they um, help them resolve their traumas by living through it with them. Only problem is, is they start taking on the traumas themselves and they start having nightmares. So they invent another dream that we call the crack dream. And uh, think about ecstasy times a thousand. And they, and they end up getting addicted uh, between the, the nightmares and the crack dream. And um, that's a problem that arises. And there are lots of dark, sinister forces behind things. And some of them are supernatural. <clears throat> so he, he's a real person. And he was one of the main characters in the book. The second person, has anybody ever heard of Dr. Stanley Krippner? Well, briefly, Stan Krippner, he ran the Maimonides Dream Research Institute for 10 years in the 70s. 
let, let me let me just insert a little thing here. Stan Krippner goes so far back in the, the elder uh, category that his dreamland lab is where Charlie Grobe was working before he went to medical school. And he was one of the attendants at night and he was sitting in the, you know, monitoring all the people who were sleeping. And Krippner had this whole library of psychedelics books there. And so Charlie started reading the books in the library at night and finally told his dad that he wanted to get into psychedelic research. And his dad said, well, first you got to get a credential, go to medical school. And that's, that's how Charlie Grobe, who is the only uh, person that's done MDMA, psilocybin, and ayahuasca research that's sponsored and approved by governments, uh, all came through sitting Stan uh, Krippner's dream lab one night. So that's, that's another connection that he, uh, Stan has been an important figure in this community for a long time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for adding that. So Stan, Stan and I have a mad love affair. We're huge fans of each other. He's been really, really supportive of my writing. So I asked Stan. I said, "Hey, Stan, can I uh, can I put you in the book too as a real person in a novel?" And he's like, "Sure, go for it." So I put Stan in there. So I have two real people in a novel, a story, and um, he really loved it. I asked him, "Did I portray him okay?" He's like, "Oh yeah, dude, you made me look good." Um, and they're both in it, and um, Lorenzo and Stan, independently of each other, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lorenzo, but independently of each other, they both said it's the best description of an ayahuasca ceremony that they've ever read. Is that correct, Lorenzo? Yeah, yeah, we we hadn't talked about it uh, before, and and the, the reason I, I uh, you you all would probably agree if if you have if you read the novel because. It's the final, the, the novel ends really by describing this ayahuasca experience, but it builds because you know the inside the minds of all the people that are participating. You know their inner histories. And then this ayahuasca experience brings that all together through the different facets of the journey that you could, that happened to you over a number of times, but it's just one experience, but it's, it's experienced by so many people in different ways. It's it's in it's really a, a masterpiece of an ayahuasca description, Mateo. And, and I haven't said that to you before, but it, it's I, I read it a second time about uh, oh about three or four months ago, and it's it's it. incredible. It really is. Thank thank you for that because I've been struggling. So I've been writing I've been writing for thirty six years. I've been teaching for thirty at the Santa Barbara Writers Conference, Southern California Writers Conference, and tons of other places, and. Um, my struggle has been all, all this time to try to take visionary experience, which is non-rational and non-verbal by its very nature, and putting it in a way so that readers can experience it vicariously. I've been struggling with that all of my life. So it was good to hear from you independently and from Stan that I achieved that. Um, and I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, anybody here, perspiring writers at all, or interested in writing? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this very, really briefly, inside, a little bit of inside dope about the dope. I wrote the whole novel from alternating two points of view. And there's, um, there's like a dozen characters, but I alternated the whole novel from two points of view. And then when I went into the ayahuasca session, I went into all the different separate points of view, each in a chapter of their own. And I think that added to the impact and the effectiveness of it um, <clears throat> with all the things that can happen. Somebody had an experience and somebody else watched them across the room and kind of saw the same thing and those kind of things. So I thought I'd share that because um, that was gas. It was a lot of fun to write. Um, the other little thing is <clears throat> I targeted the market for gamers. 
And commercially, it didn't do very well. And I struggled over it for a long time because I know the writing is solid. And what I came to the realization is that gamers don't read. <laughs> They're always gaming. <laughs> so that was an eye-opener for me. But I'm still in love with the book. I'm, I'm happy with it. It's my biggest book, I think. Well, yeah, you know, eventually these gamers are going to burn out because they, they most do in their mid-30s or so. A lot of them do. And that's where you start marketing it to the burned-out gamers, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, my nephew's right around the corner, right? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to, want to tell the story, uh, the story about when he got swatted? Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's really big. I mean, he's he's like international. They fly him around the world, and he's yeah. really funny. He says, you know, over here in the in the states, girls think you're just a geek or a gearhead or something. But he says in Europe, we're rock stars. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> a big rock star. Gamers, yeah. So they 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 practice a lot, and sometimes they let their fans participate in their practices. It's all online, and a couple of the videos. I think they caught them, the ones that did it. Yeah, they did. Way, which they should. Recently, yeah. <laughs> so um, they do this thing called swatting. So Jordy's online, and they're taping their session, and somebody swatted him. So, and, and tell them what swatting is. They, they called SWAT team and said there were like terrorists and bombs in the house, right? So here he is online being recorded. And they're like, yeah, you know, you got the bomb, and I'm going in and all this. This is what they're saying. It's the game. So there's all this noise, and then uh, Jordy goes, oh, wait a minute, guys. Something's going on. Um, I'm uh, I'll be right back. I gotta go see what's going on. So he goes out, and and then they're all like, "Well, where's Jordy? Where's Jordy? What, what's going on? What's going on?" For like two or three minutes, and then all of a sudden, the door to his room opens, and in comes the fucking SWAT guys, black, locked and loaded, black jackets. I mean, you know, going for it. And they had his poor dad out in the front lawn, cuffed, face down in the dirt, and um, his dad and his uh, older brother were doing a legal. Uh, at the time, this was three or four years ago, um, uh, cannabis grow in the garage for dispensaries. Oh my so they take them all through the house, all this locked and loaded shit, and they go to and they and they go into his dad, and then they're like, "What's in this room?" And he said, "It's cannabis." I'm going through dispensaries, and they and San Diego police, and they go, "Okay, that's good. We're not interested in that." And they finally got it out. So um, it was all record. The whole thing was recorded. And um, I think it's, uh, if you go on YouTube, I think it's Nothing Gets Swatted. And uh, some of his fans and other uh, gamer guys put, like, uh, voice balloons and thought balloons and stuff like that on it, and they made it into a thing. And these idiots who swatted him were jealous of him, and they actually made him, like, 100 times more popular than he was to begin with. Yeah, can you imagine watching watching this guy in the game? Because you see the game, and then you see in the inset, you see him – and all of a sudden, the game has kind of gone dead, and a real SWAT team. It's like he set this up to to bring the game to life, almost. You know, it's it, it probably was really fascinating. Oh yeah, and you know, hey, you guys, I'm loading my AK-47 now and my M14 multiple round, you know, bazooka killer, and all the stuff they do in the game, right? And they're talking about bombs and all this stuff because that's what the game is. Uh, but they, they did catch some of them, and you know, they would do before that, like they ordered 50 pizzas. To his house, and um, and they came down on him hard, which they should because somebody could have got killed or really hurt with that. That's not well, well somebody got arrested uh, about a month ago uh, that had <laughs> been swatting people, and somebody got killed in one of the swats. And so uh, this yeah. person got arrested for murder now. 
Yeah, that's really stupid, yeah. stupid shit. So yeah. So anyway, that yeah, that's that story. Um, well, we've gotten kind of far away from ayahuasca and uh, <laughs> shamanism. Well, but you you went to nothing, so. Oh yeah, it's my my uh, my my uh, diversion, and uh, uh, I I really do recommend you guys read that book if you if you like fiction at all. It's uh, it's really good because uh, it uh, it brings in everything: psychedelics, science fiction, you know, dreaming, uh, computers, you know, virtual reality, uh, and and it gives you so many neat little things to think about. It's one of those books that you'll read a chapter and you sit down and and it'll give you it'll give you a pause to reflect. It's it's well done. So, uh, where do we go now? Somebody have could another I, question? Could I, could I ask uh, three quick questions? Well, you, you don't have just, to be quick. Go okay. ahead. Take your time. Well, I'll just list them, and then hopefully you'll remember, and I'll just be no, Why don't you list them? Why, why don't you ask them one at a time? Because well, it's hard to really think about it all. Right. You'll, you'll get lost. Well, I'll start with uh, mm-hmm. uh, San Pedro. Mateo, did you purge, uh, and uh, was it the kind of purge that we deal with ayahuasca the second question is how many people are in your team when you're working with 20 people and the third question is uh what's your hit on salvia divinorum good good questions and i can answer them all pretty good thanks uh first off san pedro it's very very bitter and it's very alkaline and the secret is to drink like orange juice or lemon juice with citric acid and um, it's not the same vomiting like ayahuasca, but when you drink, so when you take uh, something that's very alkaline and you add an acid, it neutralizes it and creates a base. So uh, when we did the peyote ritual in, in Mexico, uh, we, were, we were eating oranges, and if you eat enough of them, you don't really, you'll, you, first your stomach feels like there's a rock in there. Um, but if you eat enough of the citrus, it neutralizes it, and you don't have the gastric distress like you will with ayahuasca. So that's the key. I even cheated one time and um, took emergency, the, you know, the powdered fizzy stuff, and that did the trick too. So <clears throat> that was the first. Th- there's your first question. The second one, uh, obviously second or the third, but when we're working with 20 to 25 people, we typically have about five sitters. To help uh, with stuff, and every once in a while, you got to take somebody out, and you know, even something like trying to pull down your pants to go to the bathroom is a major ordeal. So sometimes you really need help. So with a group that big, um, there's about five sitters, and then there's me, um, another guy, and a musician. There's three of us leading. Um, so everything's covered, and everybody's you know integrity and people keep people safe is utmost important. Uh, so that's that one. And there was one other one. What was the other one? Uh, the third one is Salvia Divinorum. Oh, yeah. So Could you give me a little bit of your feedback on that? Tried it once. Yeah. Well, so um, I've done lots of things. And when I was at the uh, Entheobotany Seminars in Ushmael, the young guy came up to me and he really built up how great it was and this and that and don't want to try it. And I was like, okay. So I took a good hit. And it was like mild DMT, but he built it up so much that I was actually kind of disappointed. And I was like, eh, so what? But as Lorenzo can attest to, I can do really big, like for years and years and years and years, whenever I took somebody on their first acid trip, I always did twice as much as they did. 
And then I, if they'd start to freak, I'd look at them and I'd go, what's up, dude? I did twice as much as you and I'm okay, right? <clears throat> and that was good. So um, it was a little, um, I was a little disappointed in it. And then I did it a few more times. And, 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 and for me personally, I, I found it a bit dissociative. And I really didn't care for that. You know, it's like a, we're, all, we're all different. We're all different um, neurochemical cocktails. Some people just have to look at something and they're blasted out of the gourd forever. Some of us have to take, you know, gallons. Uh, everybody's a little different, so things affect people in different ways. I know in my experience, and I know Lorenzo can confirm this, generally speaking, like with MDMA, guys need to take a little bit more because women are more sensitive. So, you know, to me, mild DMT uh, didn't impress me that much, but some people really like it. You know, it's like... Uh, <clears throat> I loved, I loved LSD, but I didn't really, I tried heroin a bunch of times. I didn't care for it. So everybody's a little different. And one of the things I'm going to be teaching in the workshop um, <clears throat> this coming weekend is, it's, this isn't original, but it's what I refer to as radical subjectivity. Because everybody's different. Everybody's had different types of traumas. Somebody who, for argument's sake, is neurochemically imbalanced, like an extreme case like schizophrenia, you don't want them near ayahuasca, right? So everybody's a little different is my point. Thank uh, you. Is that a good answer? Yes, yeah, excellent. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I have, a, I have a bunch of questions. I just want to ask maybe two specific. Does ayahuasca, in your opinion or experience, or and uh, pardon my ignorance, help? to heal the physical body, maybe because it helps with a mind-body connection? Yeah. Um, and, and, and please don't say excuse my ignorance because there's no such thing as a stupid question. So okay. you're straight on that one. <laughs> cool. But, yeah, you know, interestingly enough, uh, among other things, ayahuasca is uh, anti-parasitic. It's wow. also uh, anti-inflammatory. And a lot of times you can have, um, so, so when you get traumatized, oftentimes your body will store that energy in different places in your body. Certain traumas can be stored in the liver. Like I'm, I'll never know absolutely for sure, but my mom died of colon cancer and I think it's because she held all her anger there. Um, so when you drink ayahuasca and you purge, it's an energetic release. So if you are holding tension for 20 years and your body's holding, 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 you know, if you're like my mom was stoic, right? <laughs> it's going to take an effect. But when you release it, because uh, ayahuasca and shamanism is all about energy. Everything is energy. So when you release the energy in different ways and you release the trauma and you really let it go, you're getting rid of that blockage. So it can do a lot of very good things physiologically, but I was just some, I got to talk to somebody tomorrow. Somebody's going down to have lung cancer and they're hoping to get healed. Well, it's not going to be any magic bullet. There's no guarantees. It could cure it, but it's not going to, oh, I don't want, you know, people think shamanism and, and, uh, and plants, right? right. And plant, oh, it's going to cure my cancer. It's going to cure. No, if, if you go and you do it, and then you go back to doing the same things. Let's say you have liver problems and you go back to drinking like a fish. It's not going to do anything. The important thing you need to get from an ayahuasca right. experience is that you will get things put in your face and you'll see them very clearly. And you'll think, oh, it's solved. Well, no, it's not. You were just shown. 
Now you got to follow through on regular everyday waking consciousness, day-to-day life, and put that into action and make it become your reality. If you don't, you're just deluding yourself. So, yes, it can cure things. Yes, it's anti-inflammatory. A lot of the stuff that I do um, on the dieta is uh, indeed anti-inflammatory. And I had a doctor who was following what I was doing very closely. So, uh, generally speaking, stress is acidic. What feeds cancer the most is like sugar and acidity. And in, in, in our toxic environment, uh, whether it's the uh, ecological environment or the toxic people, the stuff that goes on, it creates an acidic condition. Ayahuasca is neutralizing. You become alkaline from this dieta. I had a doctor who amazed. He checked me before I went, and he checked me when I came back, and he was blown away at how uh, alkaline I was and how uh, the, the stress was gone and, and everything else. So when you get rid of the conditions that make those things happen and stay with you, then you can get resolution. But sometimes it's too far out of control. There are other factors that come into play that you can't, you know, for argument's sake, if somebody worked with asbestos and they got lung cancer from asbestos, well, it's pretty much too far gone by then. So it's not a magic bullet, but it's really good medicine. Um, is that a good answer? That's Awesome. I'm a nurse practitioner, um, and I had a retinal detachment, but I wanted to follow up one more question. I have like five, but as a medical professional engaging in what I, I don't love Western medicine either, you know, in many ways. And the more I learn about psychedelic science and different types of plant medicine, the more I want to change it. I want to change it as a nurse practitioner. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm not in Northern California. But I wonder if you, as a person who has d- done so much and given so much of your life and experience and shared how you've grown, like, do you have any advice for nurses, doctors, Western medical practitioners on how can we change things for the better, like, for patients? Okay. So the first thing I want to say to you is thank you for your work. Seriously. <laughs> thank you. No and thank problem. you for being there with what you're doing because you're performing a great service that other people just don't have it in them. So well, thanks. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, and thank you for thanking me, for thanking you, for thanking me, for thanking you. <laughs> All that. The, the thing, one of the things I'm going to be really, really stressing in this thing I'm going to be teaching this coming weekend is there can be some serious interactions. So for argument's sake, um, ayahuasca um, has uh, MAO inhibitors. Um, Does anybody not know the combination of ayahuasca? Do I need to get a little chemical on you? DMT and an MAOI? DMT Yeah, I'll tell you very briefly. So the plant they call chacruna, is Psychotria viridis, it's a bush, and it contains DMT in the leaves. You can eat it all day, and you won't get off. Ayahuasca, the vine, which the drink is named after, has beta-carbolines, which act as MAO inhibitor. So when you mix the two together and you drink the brew, then the MAO inhibitors in the ayahuasca vine makes the DMT become orally active, and you have your journey. If you're taking any type of SSRI or if somebody has done a lot of ecstasy, that can be deadly. You can go into convulsions. You can die. That's one of the reasons why the, the dieta is so important. 
to stick with it. You got to be in that, for lack of better words, chemically pure state to have a good experience with it. So there are a lot of interactions that are not healthy at all. There's some that are, but a lot of them are not. So you have to really, really pay attention. And, you know, there is the whole mind-body connection. So heal the mind, heal the body in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, um, one of the, you know, the dangers, like I'm talking about with the convulsions, is serotonin overload. So um, aside okay. from uh, uh, puking and shitting, from ayahuasca and getting rid of your energetic traumas, also physiologically speaking, when your body gets into that state where you're getting towards serotonin overload, it's the body's way of balancing it. And literally like, like blowing steam off of a steam kettle. So you don't explode. So there's a whole physiological aspect of it. So the interactions are very, very important that need to be paid, paid attention to. And typically the core of the traumas that need to be dealt with are, um, are uh, more uh, psychological than other things. But, you know, they do go hand in hand. You've probably seen things like this where somebody has some weird physical condition, even if it's a twitch or any, something like that, and it goes back to some trauma that's inside of them. And so there are uh, conditions and situations that can totally disappear. But but I want to stress that it uh, it's not well, a magic. You know, you're not going to go to the jungle and get healed. The other thing I want to mention briefly, <clears throat> without getting off track, is they try to isolate compounds from these things and say, oh, this can cure cancer. And they, you know, the pharmaceutical companies try to refine it. But what they're not taking into consideration, like when I go into the jungle, is it's a very specific diet. You're in a tropical environment. You're sweating. You're purging. You're, and the food is there to clear you out. And it's literally prehistoric cleansing, uh, detoxing, and uh, psychotherapy. So the other thing is, uh, and you've, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this a lot, is that a lot of doctors are totally locked into what they got taught in medical school. Right. You know, what are the standards and practices? You have to follow this. And then, of course, the pharmaceutical companies are, hey, dude, you want a swimming pool? Prescribe some more Prozac, right? So there's that whole stuck mindset that you're up against. So you have to be very careful when you bring these things up, um, who and where you are and what you're around. And the other thing is if you are going to bring it up, go in there totally armed with logic. Find the clinical studies, you know, and say, look, Here's what happened with so-and-so. You know, there's a lot of real groundbreaking work done years back in Israel with PTSD because <clears throat> there was so yeah. much shit going on. So kind of lastly along these lines, I, uh, I have a technical background. I worked in technology a lot. And if people started getting in my face and bugging me about getting something fixed and all that, I would just overwhelm them with so much stuff I knew they couldn't even get that was technical that they'd go <laughs> run away. But go in there armed. That's my point. Go in there armed with the studies and show clinical that they, when you show those people that are really left brained and, and total sort of, you know, divide and conquer Western scientific method, and you go in there with a really solid study from wherever, you know, Johns Hopkins or, or wherever, and you show them that, that'll shut them up. Yeah, my boss is an awesome psychiatrist. I do psychiatric medication management, which is like, yeah, turn up the Prozac or turn it down. It's, it's, I, you know, I'm not, I'm glad to do it, but I'm also like, I want to change it, you know? And I was telling, I decided to tell my boss, who's not that conservative, um, but she goes on vacation to Disney World all the time. But anyway, um, like, I can't figure that out. But I told her about, uh, that I read the Michael Pollan's book, and Lauren Slater wrote this book called Blue Dreams, which is really amazing. And 
so she was like, oh, it's just a bunch of new chemicals. It's just a bunch more chemicals. I was like, no, like you don't understand, you know, maybe people won't have to take a daily pill that's going to ruin their bodies. I mean, this, this paradigm shift is going to happen, but I just, I'm wondering how to, how to make it happen. So that's why I'm here. Thank you. You are, you are a frontier ambassador. I hope so. <laughs> right now are. I'm on medical leave with my eyes, so I'm working uh, on my yeah. third I'm, eye. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious about that. And when people say to me, like, oh, that's drugs, I'll, I'll say to them, did you have any coffee this morning? Yeah. Oh, you're on drugs. You are, right? Or did you take an aspirin? You're on drugs. And, and, and you go through your day, every moment of your day is an altered state. You wake up from sleeping, you're awake, that's an altered state. You have coffee, it's an altered state. You get in your car and somebody pisses you off, that's an altered state. So um, the thing I've learned that I've been working at a lot is disarming people. So if you disarm them with good, solid knowledge and clinical studies, you'll shut them up, they won't bother you anymore. So that's my piece of advice for you. Thank you, awesome. You're most welcome. Mateo, I have a quick question for you. One of the problems I've had with ayahuasca is I, I continuously get to the point where I get the voice, where it's, it's the critical voice before you get over. And I don't, like, again, for me, there seems to be two levels. One is that, you know, it's that guy that wants to talk to you or, excuse me, since I'm a, you know, I want to talk to myself and tell me about everything I've done wrong and people I need to love more and all that other stuff. And then there's that breakthrough level where I start seeing things that I don't believe are me and they, you know, whatnot. The problem that I seem to have is, is I get to that really critical self right before the higher self. First off, do you, you know, do you see that too, that two stage difference part? And the second one is what do you do to disarm yourself? Because you already know all your own tricks. So good, good, good question. Um, let me think. I want to respond good for you. Um, so there's a couple of things. I, I really do. I'm fond of saying this. I'm a cast of thousands. Now, uh, uh, I want to explain it in this way, and hopefully this will make sense to you. I've always been a cosmic blast off guy. Like, I, if I don't punch through that cosmic realm, and usually right about when it's the most is when I'm purging. Purging is like, that's the level where I'm really getting cosmically off into the realms. So even though it's the most uncomfortable, the most profound experiences. <clears throat> But here's the thing with ayahuasca, and, and, and think about this. The voices is the ego, or the egos, the personalities. And they're kind of scared shit. Um, I, had, I'm not, I had a very high-level PhD. It was a friend of Lorenzo's and I. Um, he knows who I'm talking about, and I won't mention his name. But he was very much intellectually centered. And when he... Finally came to the jungle. He spent his first three sessions curled up in my lap in a fetal position because he was so used to resolving everything with his head and he drank the ayahuasca and that didn't work anymore. And he was totally lost and terrified. So the more intellectually centered people are, the more terrified and lost they are because they, it's unprecedented for them. They, they, don't, they, they, they literally don't know how to act. They don't know how to deal with it. <clears throat> now, having said that, Here's what happens when you drink ayahuasca. You have your right brain and your left brain. When you go to sleep at night, your left brain finally gets a rest. And um, when it does, and your left brain takes a nap, your right brain comes out to play. Now, 
Your left brain is analytical. It's, it's serialized. Like I'm talking to you guys right now. I'm stringing words into a sentence. You're taking a word at a time and you're reassembling in your mind to try to interpret what I'm saying to you. Your right brain is conceptual. It's symbolic. And it speaks in literally, uh, for lack of better words, it's like an alien language. It's symbolic. It's why women's intuition is superior because they're more connected. Generally, this is all generalizations, but they're more connected right brain. So they could take 27 different things and suddenly go, ah, oh, that's it. That's what intuition is. Whereas a guy's like, duh, I got to let me see. The knee bone's connected to the foot bone. You know, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to fix everything. And the women are just like, they know. So you can be in a dreaming state and you can be flying on a feathered purple horse with pink polka dots. And when you're in that state in that dream, it's totally normal. You're like, yeah, of course I'm flying on a pink horse with purple polka dots or whatever. You accept it. In the bizarre situations, when you're there, you accept it, okay? And then you wake up, and then it's like, Jesus, that was a weird dream because your left friend's coming back online. But while you're in that state, you're accepting of it. So when you drink ayahuasca, what happens is your right brain gets turned on, and your left brain's still going. And your left brain is trying to figure it out, and that's where all the monkey mind shit comes from. So I'm constantly, constantly telling people, when you're in the experience, you may figure some things out, but don't struggle to try to figure it out. Let it roll. Just roll with it. That's what integration is really all about. Integration is about letting the left logical mind catch up with everything that goes on because the information comes to you in that state fast and furious. And you can't, you don't have time to think. It's beyond thinking. It's, it's a gazillion miles an hour. It's, 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 going, 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 and it's symbolic, and it's visual, and it's emotional. It's all those things at once. And you can't, in those moments, most of the time, you can't comprehend. That's where you learn to navigate. It's why when I went and I did seven sessions and drank all those plants the last time I was down, it's why it took me a month to integrate. Because you've got to give your left brain time to catch up. And if you happen to be someone who is intellectually centered like that, and you go into that state and you haven't been there, it's unprecedented. You don't know how to act. You don't know how to deal with it. Your tools that you normally use are gone. They don't work anymore. And then you try to figure it out. And, of course, the more you try to figure it out and the more you struggle with it, the more you go to hell. That's why I said a little while ago, one of our mentors, Lorenzo knows what I'm talking about here, said, um, ayahuasca is the river, and the Icaros and the music and the songs are the boats that carry you along on the river. So don't fight it. Somebody who's making a joke, surrender, Dorothy, Right? And let it, let it roll. You'll figure it out later. But when you get struggled, so for me, I have this whole relationship with my cast of thousands here. <clears throat> By the way, I figured out over all these years, it's led by a gang. The gang leader for me is the baby, the infant. He's got the wise guy, he's got the muscle, and he's got the comedian. They're all, and they work together, and sometimes they trade off roles, but they do all these things because they're, even though they're misguided, they're trying to protect us. And when they get in a situation where they can't, all their tricks don't work anymore, they'll freak out. They, they, you know, you may go, they may try to convince you that you've been poisoned, that you're going to die, all those things you go through. Because that part of your mind that you've been relying on all your life isn't working the way it normally does. So when you realize that your whole brain's getting turned on and you accept that and you just roll with it, then your intellectual mind will catch up in the aftermath. And that's what integration is truly all about. Does that make sense? Uh, I want to I want to 
add uh, by closing and saying, you know, Mateo said a couple of times tonight that he's uh, uh, a thousand characters. And that brings to mind the Walt Whitman quote where he said, do I contradict myself? Very well. I contradict myself because I'm great. I contain multitudes. <laughs> and Mateo, you are certainly great. You do contain multitudes. And, and I appreciate you being here uh tonight and and i'm sure everybody else does if you guys would like to say good night to him uh feel free thank you so much that was awesome thank thank you guys for participating because you all make it worth all the effort and all the blood sweat and tears for sure um thanks man thank you thank you thank you we'll do this again like your hat (laughs) zendo is great yeah thank you thanks well, we'll have, him, we'll have him back again soon. So uh, thanks again, Mateo. Oh, and I'll talk to you offline before long. Thanks for coming, you guys. Travel safe. Fly Bye. high. Bye, Bye guys. guys. Keep the old faith and stay high. <laughs> You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. Well, if you're interested in seeing that SWAT video that Matt talked about, I've embedded it in today's program notes, which you will find at psychedelicsalon.com. Also, I've added a link to Matt's personal website with a listing of many of his books. Well, I've got to get back to packing now, but don't forget that next week I'll begin posting those Terrence McKenna talks that I played on the salon's first run RSS feed on Patreon back in November. But for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.